Welcome to episode 36 of the Red Devil Talk podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with Classic Retro Shirts, who specialize in recreating classic football shirts. You can check them out on Instagram at Classic Retros 2, or you can check them out on their website at classicretros.co.uk. Today, as usual, I'm delighted to say I'm an excellent company, an FA Cup winner with Southampton, a former United player, a former Scotland international, a man who scored one of Scotland's most famous goals. In 1967, against the world champions England, it is of course Jim McCallyog. Jim, thanks for taking the time. Not a problem, Jimmy. I'm looking forward to it. Something that strikes me about you is the level of interaction you have with fans on Facebook. You seem to you seem to do your best to try to reply to everyone. I see that fans they share old photos of you, they share their favourite memories of you. For some, the memories that they have are still as vivid as they were in the 70s, and they're such an important aspect of their life still. Is interacting with the fans in this way something that you enjoy? Yes, absolutely, because uh, back in the day, Jimmy, uh, obviously the, the, the fan support and paying through the turnstile was so important. And I, I always gave them total respect. Um, I, I think that they're, they're very knowledgeable as well. I think back then a lot of people thought they... They, they didn't realise what was going on, but a lot of them played football themselves. And uh, so, yeah, their opinions are good. Um, it keeps me going. I'm 74 now and I'm enjoying my life. And uh, their opinions, like I said, are very valuable. Is it humbling to know that people still remember you, that they still think of you and that they hold you in such high regard? Absolutely. Um, it's wonderful um, football for me since uh, I was born and brought up in the Gobbles in Glasgow. When I started playing football and, and up right up until now, it's totally enhanced my life. I've been places, I've, I've met people uh, that certainly I, I probably wouldn't have met in, in another uh, industry. But I, I love football and uh, to continue in it now, uh, which I do with my events, but at the moment uh, I have an event company, but at the moment we, we can't uh, do what we would like to do. So I'm looking forward to when we get through COVID, hopefully sometime maybe in the spring, uh, to getting my event company going again and, and bringing some more legends of football to the, the fans. Of course, you just mentioned there, you grew up in Glasgow. What was life like for a young boy growing up in Glasgow in those times? Great, absolutely. Uh, it was the only world that I knew. Uh, my parents um, were from Ireland. They'd come over to, to Glasgow, met in Glasgow and got married. We were a family of five, four boys, myself the oldest, and, uh, and my sister. And uh, growing up in Glasgow was, was fantastic. I had a wonderful schooling. 
I went to the Boys Guild and I went to the Boys Clubs and uh, it, it was amazing. I was always busy, uh, particularly with my homework from Hollywood when I, I went to senior secondary. But all in all, life was wonderful. We, we ha I had a great football teacher at Hollywood, a guy called Dennis Cuddihy. Who, who was totally devoted to looking after his football team. And of course, in the boys' guild at night, in the boys' club, it, it kept me out of trouble. Uh, it could so easily, Jimmy, I've, I've gone the other way. I, I could have gotten myself in a lot of bother, but thankfully, and with my, my parents' guidance and a bit of common sense for myself, I kept out of it. Where did the initial interest in football come about? Obviously, you mentioned there your teacher, Mr. Cuddy, but what other influences were there? The interest is, is always come from myself. My, my dad, uh, my dad wasn't really keen on football. He, he enjoyed it, especially when he came to most of my matches. But my interest came from in the gobbles with so many football teams actually in Glasgow. There, there was, of course, Celtic, there was Rangers, there was Clyde. There was uh, Partick Thistle and, and there was also Third Lanark, sadly a team that went into administration. But Glasgow was a, a great place for football and it, that was where it, where it all came from. Uh, I used to practice morning, day and night in between uh, my schooling. And uh, yeah, it was it was the thing that I wanted to do. I loved to go early when I went to a football match to see the players and see them go into the stadium and dream of one day emulating them. Uh, and fortunately for me, it did actually happen. I want to chat about Tommy Doherty, who of course sadly passed away recently. Someone that I know had a big influence on you throughout your career. He signed you for Chelsea when you were 17. He brought you to United. But when did you and Tommy first cross paths? Tommy Doherty, uh, rest in peace. A great person in my career. First time the, the, the paths crossed was I, I, when I was at school. Uh, I played for Glasgow Schoolboys. And I was the first Gobbles boy to get picked for, uh, for Scotland Schoolboys. We played England on a Saturday afternoon at Ibrooks Park. And I remember walking to Ibrooks because we didn't have a car then. We played England, uh, we beat England 4-3. So we won the, the championship in, in Great Britain for the Schoolboy Internationals. I came back um, from the game, went upstairs to see my mum and she says, how did it go? I says, we, we won 4-3. She said, are you okay? I said, I was hungry and uh, I wanted a, a drink. So I had a, a piece of jam, I remember that. You know, the real, uh, it wasn't a prong cocktail, as mm. probably Roy Keane might appreciate. Yeah. It was a piece in jam, Roy. Um, so, and then I went downstairs with my ball and I was kicking my ball about, and about five minutes into that, uh, my mum shouted me upstairs. I said, there's somebody here to see you. And I walked into the house and of course I could see it was Tommy Doherty. I was 15 years of age. And Tommy Doherty was then the manager of Chelsea. So I got talking to Tommy Doherty. I was absolutely thrilled because I knew it was him because of the, the football annuals that I would see in the library because I, I really couldn't afford or my parents couldn't afford for us to buy football books. So I would go to the library and catch up on football in the, the library places, in the sport places. So it was absolutely amazing to meet Tommy Doherty. 
But sadly, I, I had promised to go to Leeds United uh, with Don Revy. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, but uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to meet you, Mr. Doherty. And, and that was my first uh, meeting with Tommy Doherty. What was your initial impression of the doc as a 15-year-old boy? As it always has been, upbeat, funny guy, never down. He, he, he was always, you know, cracking his one-liners and very quick. And, uh, you know, it was a great impression that I got from him. Other than my, my loyalty and my principles that I'd been taught by my parents, uh, I'd probably have loved to have gone to, to Chelsea with Tommy Doherty. But of course, Don Revy was also a, a big figure in my life. And uh, he was to go on as well to become a, a fantastic football manager as well. Do you have any funny stories or interactions with Tommy that you could tell us? Did you ever receive a dressing down from Tommy when you are at United? Uh, I think Tommy was always, uh, he was always looking for a wee bit of fun uh, around the place. I remember when I, I'd gone to Man U and we were, we were on a pre-season tour and Martin Bucking, the captain, Martin had brought his guitar along with him. We were all kind of sat about and it was kind of a wee bit boring. So the, the boys were trying to get something to do. Anyway, Martin says, I'll go and get a guitar and we'll have a sing song. So Martin went upstairs to get his guitar. So as soon as Martin went upstairs, to, to go for his guitar, Tommy Docherty told us all to disappear. So we all left the, the reception area or, or the lounge, wherever it was we were. And of course, Martin come down. Some of us were in a position behind maybe the sofas where we could see him coming down and coming into the lounge to see if he actually got his guitar. But of course, Martin being Martin, he, he liked to sing and uh, he had brought his guitar down, but... He had no audience, so that was the kind of thing the doc was yeah. up to. He was, he was always looking to uh, keep the party going, as it were. A great character. Fantastic character, and, and, and huge football. Don't ever underestimate his, his knowledge of football. In terms of your move to United, March 1974, I believe, deadline day, a time when United were trying to turn around their season, I guess. But tell me how that move came about. At what point did you learn of United's interest in you? Uh, I learned uh, from Bill McGarry, my manager, because I was supposed to go to Aston Villa. But I wasn't, no disrespect to Aston Villa, I wasn't keen to go to Aston Villa because Aston Villa were, were actually in the second division. But they were, they had the, the mighty Doug Ellis, the, the chairman, was looking to revive the club and obviously... Villa had great traditions and uh, I looked like I might go there. But then once I had uh, Bill McGarry told me that Manchester United was interested, then uh, sorry, but the, there was no comparison. Because um, the back of my head, uh, Jimmy, was that back in, in when I was 20 and I, just shortly after I'd played for Scotland, um, I had asked for a transfer from Sheffield Wednesday and it was absolutely everywhere and I was supposed to be going to Manchester United when I was 20. Well, that was in 1967, but it didn't materialise in the end. A lot of it, people gave their own opinions of it, but deep down, I, I think the club didn't want to let me go, but of course they were going to ask for crazy money and uh, 
Sir Matt Busby would only pay what he thought a player was worth and uh, that move fell through. So for me to get a second chance to go to Manchester United, you know, I, I, I got in my car and I drove to Old Trafford, but I had to walk to Old Trafford. I'd imagine it was a short negotiation. It was, uh, it was yeah, because we actually managed to talk on the phone. The secretary put me through uh, to Tommy Doherty. I talked to him on the phone and we talked over most of it. And he said he got permission from his directors the night before uh, because they were playing Manchester City the night before. And I think it was two each, the, the score. So I was really very, very excited driving from Wolverhampton uh, to Manchester. And uh, yeah, it was just as I thought it would be an amazing club, um, amazing um, supporters. Yes, wonderful. It's fair to say that life at United for you started very well. Unbeaten in the first six games, I think it was, you scored four goals. Is there any tinge of sadness for you that you joined United, which I've read you describe as a dream? But is there any tinge of sadness or regret that you joined United during what can be described, I guess, as a dark period in the club's history? Uh, certainly, they didn't look like they were going to uh, get out of relegation trouble. But like I said, there was such a feeling for myself to go to Manchester United and, and I hope that I could make a difference. But by the, this time, I was probably 26, 27. So I had quite a lot of experience and I was quite a confident player. And I thought that the big thing that, that, that lacks a lot of teams when they're down around the bottom of the divisions is confidence. So I was hoping that when I went to United, I could bring some confidence and maybe even, maybe even a wee bit of swagger. And as it turned out, um, it went very well for me. I, I got a, a goal at Newcastle at Old Trafford, which was uh, my first game at Old Trafford. It was uh, a header. It doesn't matter how they go in, Jimmy. A goal's a goal. And it 100%. can make But then, of course, on the, the Monday, we played Everton because uh, it was Easter Bank Holiday Monday. And we beat Everton 3-0. And I got a couple of goals in that. But most uh, important to me was to score a goal at the Stretford end. And of course, I got a free kick just about 25 yards outside the, the penalty area, uh, sorry, the goal. And uh, I took the free kick and I curled it around the, the wall and put it in the top corner and straight to the Stretford end. So that gave us a real good chance. But as we all know, in the end, um, it really wasn't our results. It was Birmingham winning that actually kept, uh, that actually put us down. So yeah, that was that was tough. It was very difficult. Um, I didn't really want to go in the second division uh, because, like I said before, uh, I could have gone to Aston Villa, but um, I went to Manchester United because that was the, the club of my choice. You mentioned there the fact that Birmingham winning sent United down. Of course, there is the myth that Dennis Law sent United down, which is incorrect. Do you know where that originated from? I don't know, but I, I, I remember seeing Dennis's face when he actually said that on the television. Uh, and, and he was looking very feisty. He was totally making sure that he wasn't the one that, that put United down. Dennis Law is, is an amazing guy. He's an amazing um, 
for a lot of reasons. He was probably uh, the first superstar footballer in, in Britain and, and he took it all in his stride. Um, he, he was a great footballer. I loved to watch him. Anytime I got a chance, I'd, I'd go to watch him um, because you would never know what was going to happen. He'd either score a goal or lay on a goal or, or, or else he might be in a wee bit of trouble. Fantastic to watch. A great showman with the, the blonde hair in the, in the wind as it was and, and, and his, the things that he did uh, probably picked up a, some from Italy when he would lift his, his finger up and hold his, his shirt and different other mannerisms that as a young footballer uh, looking at, uh, at great players you pick up these things and, and you want to copy a wee bit of the style. But of course, you have to be your own man, really, and have your own style in the end. Would you get a chance to talk to Dennis much nowadays? Yeah, I, I was very fortunate. Myself and my wife, Debbie, uh, Bobby, Len Bobby Lennox, we, we went when Dennis got freedom of the city in Aberdeen, which was amazing. And he also opened the lights in Aberdeen. Uh, we spent four nights with the, the Law family because all his family was there with him. And uh, it, was, it was great. His wife, Diane, is a, a, a lovely person and so is all his family. And we got to know quite a lot of them. And I got to know Dennis again um, uh, a lot more than probably I did before because you're always in awe of your heroes, aren't you? Yeah. So you, you don't want to be in their face. Or you, I particularly didn't want to be in anybody's shadow. I, I, I was always my own man from a young age. That was the way I was. I was, like I said, I was a pretty confident lad. Jumping back to United, was it a huge blow to leave United after just a year at Old Trafford? Oh, yeah, that was... That was certainly one of the biggest disappointments in my career. It, it was one of them things. I'd had a, um, a problem with the assistant manager and um, it come down to, to really the, the, the doc was going to back his staff and uh, Southampton, Laurie McMenemy rang uh, Tommy Doherty and I got permission to talk to, to Laurie McMenemy. Southampton were great for me. There, there, there was quite a few great players there, even though they were in the second division. And of course, when I was at Chelsea as a kid, me and Peter Osgood came through. So Peter, I knew very well. Um, so that was, um, it was amazing to see Peter. And Peter and Mickey Shannon, who was England international then, and England's number one pick in, in the... Uh, for the team. They both wanted me to go to Southampton. I had about four or five days down in Southampton and then I came back and I'd made my mind up. I thought it wasn't going to get any better with uh, um, me not being on good terms with assistant manager. Uh, so it was the best thing to do was for me to leave. But it, it tore me apart a lot, definitely. There's, there's no two ways about it. And uh, for, for quite a while uh, uh, at Southampton, uh, I was always looking back to United. Um, but then, of course, things changed at Southampton. We started playing 
And of course, then we got to the cup final. Hi, this is Ken Hardy, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. This podcast is brought to you in association with Classic Retro Shirts. Classic Retro Shirts sell a large variety of retro jerseys from a number of clubs and countries and are very prominent on Manchester United. United season ticket holders themselves, giving fans a chance to look back through history. Classic Retro Shirts are on Instagram at Classic Retros 2 or you can visit their website at classicretros.co.uk. To get a £10 discount off your purchase, you can use the code RDT10 at the checkout on the website or you can send the code via direct message to their Instagram. Classic Retro Shirts. Did you perceive the move to United as a step down? Sorry, the move to Southampton as a step down? Was it really hard to adjust? Yeah, I think I think there is a saying in football: if you leave United, I think Tony Doherty did that one. Uh, if, if you leave United, there is only one way, and, and and that is down. But really, when I left Wolves, I was going down to United because Wolves at that time, Wolves were a far better team than than United, and then United down to to Southampton. Southampton had always been a good club, a good football club, and always played in the first division. At the end of it, when when you look at the the whole picture, playing for Manchester United is is just quite incredible. I, I think any any step from Manchester United would always be a step down. I read people on Twitter say authors, historians, they say that you left United because of Tommy Doherty, which of course we know isn't true. As you've just alluded to, you mentioned it was an issue with Tommy Cavanagh. Can I ask what the issue was? Was just different personalities or was what was going on? I would love to tell you what was going on, Jimmy, but I'm a little bit tied. My hands are tied here because I'm writing a book at the moment and the actual, all what went on will actually be in there, Jimmy. So Brilliant. if you will forgive me, I will leave that. Of course. Till, uh, till my book comes out. It was going to nearly be out before Christmas, but it will be out hopefully in, in 21. And uh, you, you can read all about it in there. Brilliant. I look forward to reading that. Uh, I want to ask about the 76 FA Cup final. Obviously, you set up Bobby Stokes for the winner in that game. Was that bittersweet for you? Or was there any aspect of you going into that game thinking, I want to show United what to let go? I want to make a point here. I think if you're a professional, you make a point. Jimmy, I don't think there's there's any question about that. I think when I left Chelsea and I went to Sheffield Wednesday, I made a point there to you know progress my career. I could have stayed in the, the squad at, at Chelsea and, and played whenever, whatever, but I wanted to go and get regular football and I moved to Sheffield Wednesday, who were possibly a bigger club than Chelsea then. So, you know, when you leave a club and you go to another club, you have to get behind your new club. Otherwise, you're disrespecting the club and you're disrespecting the fans. And once I had left a, a team and I'd gone to another, another team, then that was, um, that was my whole uh, ambition was for, to do well with them. And if an ex-club or an ex-player has got in my way, so be it. I wanted to do well, and uh, it was just the professionalism in me. I want to ask you about Willie Morgan, someone who I know is a good friend of yours. I've had the pleasure of chatting to Willie about football and life a few times now. 
he uh, he mentioned to me that in the downtime, if you want to call it that, away from training, away from games, he played a lot of snooker. Were you ever involved in those games of snooker? I kept that under my heart. I, I knew Willie was a, was a good, a good he was a player. He a shark. Yeah, he was a bit of a shark. He, he was a good player. But I, I, I think a lot of the Scottish boys that went down to England all got involved in snooker and snooker halls and what have you back in the day. But I knew Willie was a good player, so it would have been an interesting game. But uh, we didn't have a, a snooker table at Old Trafford. But at Leeds United, there, there was a, a snooker table and also at Chelsea. So, you know, maybe if there'd been a table there, maybe we would have got it on and that would have been interesting. But Willie's a great friend of mine. He's a great footballer. He, he's a smashing man. Uh, I, I was with Willie uh, a while ago. Uh, we we were both in Manchester for for uh, Jim Holton's book, uh, so we we were both at the um, at the launch of the book, and we thoroughly enjoyed it, and we both had a lot of time for Big Jim. But Willie was a, a great player and uh, a great lad. He's probably my best friend in football. I've heard him say the same of you. Thank you. How much of United? Do you watch nowadays? Obviously, last night there was disappointing results. They lost 2-0 to City. But do you watch? Do you still follow United? Yes, I still follow. I still follow United and I still follow all my clubs. It's good to see them doing well. Unfortunately, Wednesday at the moment haven't been doing so well, but they've picked up just lately. So hopefully they'll, they'll get back again. But it's nice to see Southampton doing so well. Yeah. Um, Man U is expected. Uh, I think at the moment it's just getting that first trophy on the, the table for Ole Gunnar. Uh, until you get that, people will always doubt you, Jimmy. You know, that is where you, you prove yourself really as a manager. And, and I think until he gets that sorted out, then, uh, you know, we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Then. Do you feel that Solskjaer and also the players, uh, do you feel that they have what it takes to sustain a title challenge over 38 games? I know they're up there now, but it's only been 16 games. Yeah, I think, um, I think they've definitely got what it takes as regards the players. I think the thing's going to be how he selects his team. I mean, rotation is a, a thing that we talk about quite a lot. But of course, he's, he's not in any European competitions this year. So... You would hope that he would be right in there for the league or be looking at winning, well, he's lost the League Cup now or, or winning the FA Cup. I would think one of, he would have to look to, to get one of them to, otherwise I, I would think there would be possibly question marks. I think he needs to win a trophy now, doesn't he? For all their recent I suppose, improvements and the positivity, I feel like they need to win a trophy now. Yeah, d- definitely. Um, you know, it's getting over the line. You know, you can get very close, but to actually get over the line, that, that is the big difference in a, in a manager's career because once you start winning you, trophies, you become a different kind of guy. I mean, you look at Brendan Rodgers, managed at Liverpool, didn't win a trophy, but he's gone to Celtic in Glasgow and he's won trophies there. And I'm sure that has a big effect on his mentality. And uh, I would think he would possibly be a guy that would be winning trophies down in England in the next couple of years. So for Ole, Ole Gunnar, 
that's what's got to be his object. Uh, I think he's got a guy up there in, in the stands that he can always talk to. And he'll, <laughs> I don't think he could have any better advice than Sir Alec. Uh, I'm glad that he's got over. I've not spoke to him for a long time. But I'm glad he got over that illness that he had and, and he looks to be back uh, in 100% good condition. Um, so I'm sure he, he, he will always be able to talk to Sir Alec. But he needs to do it this year, Jimmy, because uh, I think United fans, um, United's appeal, everything, they, they have to be winning things. Jim, I want to say thanks very much for your time. Before we conclude, if it's okay, I want to wrap up with some of the listeners' questions. Yeah, that's fine. Generally speaking, what's your view on the modern game, the diving, the simulation, I suppose, in, in comparison to your era? And I always think of Dennis Law. He tells a story of when he was marking his man. He'd have a quick look over his shoulder to see where the ref was. If the ref wasn't looking, he'd give him an elbow into the ribs. <laughs> what's your view on the modern game in comparison to those times? Yeah, well, obviously they they can't do that nowadays. Oh. I mean, that, that that's just football. Football is a contact sport. It's very competitive, and there was nobody uh, feistier or more competitive than than Dennis. So yeah, that's part of it. Defenders would knock you about. So as a forward, you had to give them it back, I suppose, um, so that they didn't um, put you out of the game really. Yeah, it was, um, it's very difficult nowadays to get away with anything. I mean, sliding tackles, what you can't do that nowadays. But you just have to adjust to what the game is in your era. In my era, it was a lot different. Pitches were a lot different. It's a lot different now. So you've got to play in your own era. Does the diving annoy you? Absolutely. Totally does my head in. I would recommend to a player when he's outside the box an attacking player to go in the box and look for a penalty but not to dive diving is it's just conning people i think it's it just doesn't you know it's football to me has always been about skill and a bit and about thought um and about endurance and ups and downs but you know cheating I've never really been one for, for that. But like I said, take advantage, yes, within the rules, 100%. But diving, leave it to the swimming baths. Another viewer's question. Who was your toughest opponent? Oh, that's a, a tough one. That's a beauty because obviously certain players get, get marked. Uh, probably in my career when it was really going well. When I was younger, I, I had people marking me. but. That was part of football. You had to um, you had to get away from them. But I, I think uh, looking through my, my time in football, I think if you had somebody like Nobby Styles or Ron Harris, and they were told to mark you, I, I think that would be your toughest opponents because Nobby was like a little tiger, and and Ronnie was the same at, at Chelsea. So yeah. They, they, they would be the, probably the two toughest opponents. I had a feeling that he would say Ron Harris. Whenever I think of Ron Harris, when he tried to take George Best out, that's my memory of Ron Harris. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie and all the time that I was with Ronnie at Chelsea, and that was for, for two years, Ronnie was a fabulous pro. He didn't go out intentionally to do anybody. 
I think that incident you're talking about, I, I think he genuinely went for the ball, but nobody could stop George. Too quick. George was just, he was just such an amazing player, Jimmy. But the, the thing about George was he was so quick off the mark. And Ronnie probably thought he, he was going to get him then. But, but George was just that bit quick and he got past him. And as the incident showed you anyway, he didn't catch George at all. And George walked around the goalkeeper and slid it in the net. But, but George was uh, George was something else. I, I remember going to, um, if I can just carry on a wee story here. Yeah, I remember Wolves, we, um, Man United had been banned from playing at Old Trafford for the first six home games. This was in the 60s. And uh, they were playing at Stoke City. That was their home ground for for the next six games. So after training one day, I, I, I said to the boys, I says, I'm going to Stoke tonight. Does anybody want to come in? You know, there's a space in my car if anybody wants to come. So we got tickets off of the coach and three of us went to Stoke to watch George Best and obviously Dennis and, and Bobby Charlton. And another particular hero of mine, Paddy Crerant, from when I was a young boy in Scotland when he played for Celtic. And we sat in the stand, there was myself and Danny Hegan, who was a very good Northern Ireland footballer, a very talented footballer, and Frank Monroe, who played for Scotland. And we sat there watching the game. The game was probably 20 minutes, 25 minutes gone. And um, Man United were defending and George had come into the middle of the park and somebody woofed it out of the out of defense for Man U and George was in a, a race with the ball through the middle. So he, he got to within about I think it was about 25 yards of the goal. And there was one of the defenders coming in from the left and one coming in from the right. And in goal was Gordon Banks. And as George was traveling with the ball Obviously, they were closing him down and he got up to about 20 yards from goal. And then all of a sudden, he drew back his foot as though he were going to hit it. But he backheeled it. He went the other way. The two defenders <laughs> went into each other, turned around George. He chipped it with his left foot over Banks's head, hit the crossbar. And me, Frank and Danny, seriously, we were wetting myself in the stand. What a genius. A one-off. How that couldn't... I just so wish it was on television because it was an amazing way he did it. He just knew that they were beside him, but he, he put the brakes on, which he could do. Everybody knew because he would, he would dance around players. But to backheel it back and turn round, chip England and probably one of the world's best goalkeepers from 20 yards, hit the crossbar, come out. It was amazing. Just have three more questions, Jim. Who would you say was the best player you played with? Best player I played with? Oof. Another tough one. Yeah. Plenty absolutely. to choose from. Yeah, there's, there's loads to choose from. Uh, I, I can go through names. like uh, It's quite unbelievable. There was Bobby Tamblin at Chelsea, Peter Osgood at Chelsea, Terry Venables. I look at Derek Duggan at Wolves, uh, Dave Wagstaff at Wolves. Then, you know, I look at um, when I played for Scotland, Dennis Law, the King, 
Billy Bremner, Jim Baxter, Bobby Lennox. You know, he's such a difficult one, Jimmy. Um, but you know, in the end, you have to you have to say the the best player that I played with. Uh, it has to be George. But I only played with him in a testimonial match. But that 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 suffice. But I would love to have. Um, when I went to United, George had, had just finished, uh, retired. I, I got to know George quite well when I lived in Manchester. And and um, I knew him from going to Marbella as well. So, yeah, we. I think George Best is, yeah, George Best is the one. From the players you've mentioned there, obviously the career you've had, you played for United, you played for Scotland, you scored at Wembley, you won the FA Cup. Could you ever have envisaged that as a 15-year-old growing up in Glasgow? Did you ever think you'd have the career that you did? Oh, I was reaching. I was reaching for the biggest dream possible, Jimmy. I, I never stopped. I played football morning and the night. I practiced everything with my left foot, my right foot, heading the ball. I spent hours playing football. The best that I did one weekend was I, I played for the school. In the morning, I played for the boys' club in the afternoon. I played for the boys' club on the Sunday morning. I was coming off the, uh, I was 14 years of age. I was coming off the field uh, over the Glasgow Green. And the, the, the club master that we had, Willie Wallace, come over to me and says, Jim, there's an under-16 game going on. It's the final trial for Glasgow clubs. There's short a player. Do you want to play? I said, yeah, of course I will. So I played four games in two days. And fortunately for me, I played in the under-16s for Glasgow clubs. And uh, when the game was finished, they picked the team and I got in the team. Fantastic. So football was everything, Jimmy. I, I practised it and the dreams were always there. There was always more to go. There was the... The Glasgow trials, the Scotland schoolboy trials, getting to a professional club, going through the teams from a junior to a, a reserve player, getting in the first team dressing room. That was always a goal when went back then, which I thought was a good goal. They wouldn't let you go in the first team dressing room until you were in the squad. And, and then, of course, Playing for Scotland Youth, which helped me along, and then playing abroad in, in the World Cup tournament and losing in the semi-finals uh, for Scotland was quite difficult. But then the under-23s and progressing my career from there and getting in the, the, the full international. I, I was always up for it, Jimmy. I was always pushing. I was always learning. So the dream is there. It's there for every kid. I'm a boy from the Gobbles and it's totally enhanced my life. It still does. And kids should aim as big as they possibly can. If they're caught out a bit short, then so what? They could have a, a wonderful career in football, but they can go as high and as far as they want to do. If they're dedicated enough and they want to put the time in. Brent, another question that might require some thought. What's your favourite song? Love music, love it all. Probably Caledonia. Good tune. I have a great variety of music, but that was a song that 
that there, there was about me and, and my wife, Debbie, shortly after we'd met. And we, we had uh, a lot of musician friends and um, they, they used to play Caledonia for us. And uh, yeah, I think that's my favorite song. Yeah, I, I love it. It brings a wee tear to my eye as well. Final question. Uh, if you could do one thing again from your career, one moment, one goal, what would it be? Never been that kind of guy, um, Jimmy. I think it's, t- it's, it's tough to rank achievements, isn't it? Yeah, always been positive, you know. It's kind of like asking someone, who's your favourite child? Yeah, no, always been, always been positive. Made mistakes, don't get me wrong. Regrets, yeah, but no, I'm a positive guy. Um, very, very happy with what happened in my life. Jim, absolute pleasure to meet you. I'm grateful for your time and lovely to meet Debbie too. Yes. Thanks lovely so much. Lovely to meet you, Jimmy. And Thank you. Uh, good, good luck to everybody in the coronavirus and um, the coronavirus. And stay safe. And you too. Take care. If you need any help uh, promoting the book when it comes out, just drop me a message and we'll, we'll try help. That's lovely, Jimmy. I'll, I'll definitely do that. No problem. All the best. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Red Devil Talk. We hope you enjoyed our latest episode and don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Devil Talk. If you listen on an Apple device, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating. If you have any questions or comments or want more information on Red Devil Talk podcasts, you can get in touch via email at reddevil talkmedia at gmail.com.